What the hell? What the hell? What the hell is up? What the? Hi, my name is Claire and I'm here to chat with artists, creators, and inspired folks about passion and their visions for success on an earth that's melting. We'll talk about identity, creativity, community, and how art can cultivate healing and change. Along the way, you'll hear music from rising indie artists. I believe the art is meant to connect us. When we listen, respond, and create, we connect and have the power to make change, even while living on this chaotic earth. So what the hell is up with you? Hello, stars. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to What the Hell is Up. What the hell is up with you? Um, how are you staying rooted? What the hell is up? I haven't recorded a podcast in so long. Um, it's been over a month and I have been missing this microphone <clears throat> and it's just, it's feeling very exciting and invigorating to get to talk in the microphone right now. It's uh, Tuesday night, June 6th, happy pride, um, happy almost, you know, end of springtime. If, you know, you're in, what is this, the northern hemisphere? <laughs> I'm really excited to be back to recording an episode. Um, what the hell is up, stars? I'm dying to know. I want you to think about this little device called a singamajig. Um, if you haven't heard of it, the last time I was talking about this was with this puppeteer guy who I met when I first moved to LA. And I don't know why sometimes this singamajig like randomly pops into my head at times. Um, now is one of those times. I had one when I was a kid and it's basically like a little toy like bear with these really funny faces and it's really colorful and pastel and when you press on the tummy its mouth like opens and sings a song in this really funny tone. Um, and it's like really absurd and unnecessary but in a cute way. And sometimes I just hope that this podcast is that because at this point um I feel like I've been on a little bit of a podcast hiatus because I've been working a lot and just getting rooted into that um trying to figure out you know how to focus my energy where I want to but also respond to the needs of the people around me and um, the circumstances around me. So isn't life such a delicate balance of the two of those and one that we have to be ever so mindful of? Yes, yes, it truly is. Um, but I will, I will get into that. In today's episode, I'm gonna be asking what the hell is up with moodiness? And what the hell is up with the idea of queering our mood? It's pride season, 
Last month was National Mental Health Month, um, and also National Nurses Week was last month, and I believe National Teachers Week as well. So it doesn't seem um, by, you know, it doesn't seem surprising that like all of these things have prompted some thoughtfulness within me about maintaining my own mental health and just like the challenges that are coming with that. Um, so I want to get into some of that and I want to get into that by introducing this super groovy song that I'm so excited to be featuring in today's episode. In today's episode, I'm featuring the song A Tale of Two Moods by Deanna Delandro and Tripped in Sat. Deanna was one of the first friends I made here in LA, and she is a super groovy friend and fun-spirited gal and artist. Um, she makes a lot of really cool um, music, and I'm excited to share more about that later. I won't reveal too much. Deanna also co-owns um, the indie record label Weird Sister Records, but again, more on that later. For now, I just want you to enjoy the vibes of the song. does capture Deanna's spirit and just this spirit of realizing that sometimes moods are transient and sometimes moods can shift. Sometimes we just need somebody to prompt us in a certain direction. The thing is, I have been so incredibly moody. Um, Ever since I moved to LA, and even before that, um, pretty much once I moved out of the shared house I was living in last year, I have been moody. Turns out that moving to a new place is a huge trauma to the brain. Um, no matter what TikTok might be sharing about wanderlust and the, the beauty of it all, it is amazing, but don't be fooled. It is a trauma to the brain to be in a completely new environment, 
with completely new people, new streets, new sounds. Everything is new to take in. Um, and yeah, so um, it makes sense that I have been in a period of, of moodiness. And sometimes I start to wonder, like, oh, are things going to get better? Um, but they do. They really, really do. And I think it's that tension that I want to hit on in this podcast episode. Because um, we just continue to live in really stressful um existential times where the the rights of queer and trans people are um, currently constantly being jeopardized um, through oppressive legislation, the rights to women's bodies are being oppressed. Um, I just think that generally speaking, mental health is a tenuous, tenuous thing for many of us. And the reason I want to talk about my own is because I want you to feel less alone. And I want you to realize that maybe, maybe we're all in this thing together. Okay, I want to start by talking about some things that are happening in LA and some different things from the news that I felt like were ever so connected to the fact that moods are so transient and ever-changing and many of us experience highs and lows that can feel like depression and we sometimes vacillate between feeling depressed and hopeful and joyful and sad and um, I think those are really normal experiences to have as humans. This, this spring in LA has been a very cool one. And um, this June so far has been really, really gray. If you are in LA, you've noticed and you might have been hearing people talk about how this is like, it's so gray and cold. It's not usually like that. And Yes, it's true that climate change is certainly affecting the weather patterns here in LA, hence having massive amounts of flooding when I first moved here, but the June gloom and May gray is also a predictable weather pattern that tends to happen here seasonally, and I find it really interesting that when you talk to local Angelinos about the weather, well, most of them are like, oh my god, I want the sun, I'm cold. Some of them, I think, do appreciate it, um, but some of them will say, it's not usually like this, like, what's going on? But, like I said, the June gloom and May gray is a seasonally predictable weather pattern um, that happens in the springtime because... What happens is that during the winter, there's slightly colder air and um, weather patterns that are happening um, in Southern California and, you know, throughout the West Coast and other parts of the country. But then as springtime comes, it starts to get 
the sun starts really, really heating up the air above, and it actually gets a lot hotter. But because it's shifting, the air on top of the ocean is cold, and you know that warm air rises, and this cool air above the ocean condenses to form clouds, and they're trapped by the mountains in Southern California, and basically it just becomes like this gloomy blanket of of clouds, um, which is like really common in coastal areas. And if you were to go to the desert, it would be much, much, much hotter. So it's like really simple physics that explain why there's been a lot of clouds like lingering around the coast. And, um, but usually I think they burn off earlier. They burn off in like the early afternoon, but for some reason this year in LA, they've been sticking around longer, which maybe means that the summer is going to be super hot, but the winter was colder, so the weather patterns are shifting and this hot air is rising, and it makes us feel like we're blanketed in this cloudy layer, and it's, to me, it is quite cozy. Um, stars, you know that I'm from Seattle, and it's it's kind of, it feels like more comfortable for me in a way, because it makes me feel well, first of all, it gives me permission to be sad and quiet. But second of all, I think it just has been less traumatic of a change for my body because it has been more gloomy this year. Um, I think that some of the mental illness that many of us experience and even... Um, even for folks with very severe mental illness that goes through highs and lows, um, our mental health is a very fragile concept that is manipulated by external circumstances. And there are internal circumstances that affect it, but I think that it can be so easy for us to f get frustrated with ourselves and like wonder like what's wrong with me when if you think about the predictable seasonal have like happenings that are going on the weather patterns of your mental health would be easily understood which doesn't always make it better but I do think that it can make it feel a little bit more contextualized and can also offer grace and patience with ourselves and with the people around us. So, I mean, what are those circumstances? In my case, it was moving to a new city and working in a hospital that was engaging very unjust circumstances, um, getting used to LA traffic and how awful drivers are here sometimes um being alone and not finding not getting into the groove of community for um for a stretch there being disconnected from friends and family overly relying on my phone scrolling too much I think that I can be so in a rush to root someplace but I think going through a period of depression after a move was really normal. And it also made me think about the fact that 
as weird as it sounds, I think going through periods of depression or sadness or grief can actually make us feel closer to something. I think back to times when I felt really kindred with something in my life, whether it was a person or an activity um, or a piece of music, a place. As much as I love joy and happiness, oftentimes it's the periods of sadness and depression that have actually made me feel closer to something, which is a really strange aspect of the human condition that we we do grow our attachments in that way. Um, but I think it is kind of beautiful to think about as well because um, it just makes me realize like this apartment that I'm living in, the these different parts of the city that I've been are always sort of going to be colored with these experiences where I was just sort of trying to cultivate hope and trying to cultivate a spirit of excitement. Um, but then sometimes, sometimes it wasn't there. Sometimes I was really like sad and in, in depression. And, um, but something about like moving through that and letting myself be in that even helps facilitate like a greater connection to the place, I think. I don't know if anyone else has ever experienced that, and it might sound really, really strange, but I feel like it's been true for me. I'm also, I'm going to come back to this, like, main thread of moods and moodiness um, and mental health, but I also think that, like, when thinking about how delicate our mental health is and how delicate life really is, um... I think about too how some of the experiences that we can put ourselves through just in normal human life um, are so potentially risky and stress-inducing, and yet we do them anyways. Um, And I'm not even talking about like dramatic life-altering stuff like moving to a new state or um, auditioning for something or doing a podcast I mean even the simple aspects of being alive like getting on the bus or getting in the car um just I mean having having children getting married telling someone you like them um going to the grocery store I don't know some of these like more mundane aspects of existing I feel like can be so potentially stressful and risky for so many reasons and I think different things are more risky for different people but this headline that I was reading from the LA Times and it was covered in the Seattle Times has had me just thinking about how many metaphorical sharks exist in our lives. There was a study that was set in San Diego and Santa Barbara counties. And basically they found that sharks are much, much more common in Southern California off the coast than they once thought. Um, 
I don't know like why they didn't think there were more sharks, but basically um, they previously thought that there wasn't a ton of sharks, um, but this new study from California State Long Beach has found that actually there are like many more sharks just swimming around the coast, specifically they're um, juvenile white sharks, and there's like, I guess, a ton of them swimming around like people near the coast. <laughs> um, I hope this doesn't scare you if you're like really into the ocean, but um, this is this is the reality. They found that sharks and people were found swimming together 97% of the time. Um, from 1950 to November 2022, there have been 209 documented shark incidents in California. I don't know exactly what they define as a shark incident, but that's not a ton considering sharks and people are swimming together 97% of the time. I do feel like that statistic is a little confounding because um, are they saying like people, 97% of people have a shark swimming near them? Or sharks are near people 97% of their time? I, I don't, I don't fully, um, fully understand. I guess at the locations where they observed the sharks, 97% of the time, sharks and people were swimming together. <laughs> and they were, these sharks were often observed within 50 yards of waves bre breaking, where, um, so there's like a lot of paddleboarders and surfers in those areas, but most of the time, the people in the water, they didn't even realize the sharks were there. And I think that's really hilarious. Also, they go on to say in this article um, from the Seattle Times that like sharks just don't really, they're not ravenous for humans. They don't crave human flesh. They just, I, I think accidentally might have run-ins with humans. Maybe they mistake them for like uh, some other mammal that they would consume, but they don't, they're not on the hunt, despite what some movies will have us believe. Like, they are just hanging around us. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how blissfully ignorant are we as humans to believe that we're so safe in this experience of being alive? <laughs> like, we are so vulnerable and we're so our mental health our physical health it's all so so delicate and i will be the first one to admit that i can just really over um overshoot my potential but i always try i'm always pushing myself i, I feel like beyond my limits with the things i do um, for better or worse, I really should realize that there are existential sharks all around me. Um, 
but I don't know. It's like we take risks anyways. We go swimming in the ocean. We surf. People go on paddle boards. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, we coexist pretty well with the sharks. So all that to say is I think that um, as beautiful as it is that mental illness has been much has become less stigmatized than it was in the past um I don't know I I I sense like a general cultural pressure to like over pathologize ourselves in some cases and I just think that part of being alive is maybe part of is being around sharks and I don't think um I think we can be aware of that without being scared of the sharks because maybe we can coexist peacefully with our sharks or our depressive moods um our fallibility our ability to fuck up um our tendency to take on more than we can handle or to make mistakes and have to change course like it's really okay and if you have people who you love and who support you um maybe bringing your full self to them will um help us all be like less afraid of sharks just been kind of like thoughtful about what it all means to me this year last week I did go to a couple of pride events here in LA um of course it's like pretty magical to be in Los Angeles during pride month um while I'm 26 years old I'm working at the AIDS Healthcare Foundation um and it's cool because I'm working for an organization that serves such a large LGBTQ patient population. Um, So it feels very celebratory of pride and very like affirming to my, my own identity as a queer woman and also has given me some like amazing opportunity to kind of try to understand different aspects of queer experiences that are not my own, um, but that are just really, really rich and important. Um, but yeah, so I did go to a pride event last week, seeing a good friend of mine who's a, um, he's like a, a, a drag dancer or a, sorry, he's a go-go dancer who also does drag, but also does burlesque and 
I got to go to this event called Queer Prom, um, which was hosted by a trans uh, Latinx organization. And it was so inspiring to be in the company of like so many trans and queer people who were straight up dressed to the nines. Um, my pal and I who went, we were like unprepared for the level of classiness that would be here in this place. I don't know what we were expecting, not that, but it was really inspiring energy to be around. And I feel like it really kicked off this month of pride, um, just with like a really magical spirit. But other than that, I'm just feeling a little bit apprehensive of like some of the bigger pride celebrations in West Hollywood and in these like large meccas of queer culture that feel like so, so bombastic and with like a lot of crowds. Um, they can be fun, but I, I don't know. It's just like a sense of wondering, like, what does pride really mean to me this year? Um, and as I'm thinking about like my own journey with sexuality and mental health, I was thinking about how in when the DSM-5, which is the like American Psychiatric Association's Bible of like all of their mental illness diagnoses that psychologists and psychiatrists like still use to inform like diagnoses for different mental illnesses homosexuality was in the dsm-5 or in the sorry um in the dsm i don't know which number it was that it dropped off of there but the date of when it fell off of there was um 1987 well that's in 1987 the dsm completely removed homosexuality as like a mental diagnosis in 1973 so um like 14 years prior they had removed homosexuality as a mental disorder but replaced it with sexual orientation disturbance and I think the reason I bring this up is because in part like it's just so important to remember how recent the history is of um, queer acceptance and like globally that is not normative in all places and like as you know currently we face a lot of reckoning with society's affirmations of of trans individuals um and like I wonder what will come of that um may we protect our trans brothers and sisters and and fight for them um through support and through listening and um trying to show up for them um but i think it's really interesting that like homosexuality was considered a mental illness and 
I think part of the reason that it could be considered that is because if you're existing in a society that doesn't accommodate you, that can also be very distressing. Um, apparently, the World Health Organization removed homosexuality from its disease like diagnosis classifications, but they still carry a, the like a designator of egodystonic sexual orientation, which is not where a person is in doubt about their sexual preferences, but apparently it means they wish it was different because of associated psychological and behavioral disorders. And that part, um, that part is like very curious to me because to me, I feel like on a global scale, it gets at the fact that society was not set up in its current state to be affirming for um, queerness. And as much as I wish I could say that the DSM's goal was to help people be thriving, healthy, mentally healthy individuals, I think that's part of it. But I also think that... um, some of Western healthcare is focused on making people function well under capitalism. So, and that continues to like evolve, but it makes me wonder like, if they thought that homosexuality was a mental illness um, like 40 years ago. Are there any current mental illnesses which they will sort of discover need not be pathologized? That might be a little bit of a leap, but it really does make me wonder about accessibility and like how we treat different variable like and diverse aspects of being human um, and how we treat them. And like, can you treat everybody who is neurodivergent with medicine and do you want to like no I I think that in some cases like we need to be working to create communities and societies that like allow for diverse fluid brains and humans um so that's that's why I bring bring that up It's also made me wonder about, like, a queer perspective on mental health to begin with. Um, I was reading into a little bit of, like, queer in its sort of philosophy, like queer theory, which I've been interested in getting to know a little bit. If you're not familiar, um, queer is, it means multiple things. It used to be a slur it was reclaimed by the lgbtq community to basically be an umbrella term for people within the community who didn't necessarily identify with lesbian gay or bisexual queer has that often has oftentimes fit me the best um and people i've known have really liked the term as well because it's all encompassing and it doesn't require strict boundaries it doesn't require um 
putting yourself in a in a box I guess it's just kind of links you to to like a spirit of queerness that exists throughout the community and I love that aspect of it but in addition to queer being like an adjective and a noun it can also be a verb in the sense of queer theory so to queer something is to complicate it or to challenge it or to basically turn it on its head turn it sideways it being heteronormative practices spaces and discourses the encyclopedia of diversity and social justice described queering as a strategy for queer activists who want to unsettle or complicate normative practices that inspires me as I'm attempting to confront a normative culture in a hospital whose name I won't mention. More on that later, but the idea of challenging existing norms through queering something feels very resonant to me. To queer something can be to challenge something or to act or behave like well outside of what's consider considered normal in ways that could be absurd or exaggerated. Um, so not only can sex and relationships be queered, but the ways that we live can be queered. The ways that we work, perhaps the ways that we approach mental health can be queered. Um, I have so much to learn about the history of queer people and the ongoing struggles that um, my queer neighbors experience, especially like those who I care for, who are HIV positive, um, friends of mine who, friends and family who are trans, um, queer people of color and queer people who experience layers of identities that create oppression in their life. Um, I think that the idea of queering normative structures for them is of the utmost importance. Um, and I've just been thinking about what would it look like if I was eager to queer my own life and even my own like limiting beliefs about myself, queering my idea of perfectionism and how I expect my mental health to be good all the time and um, queering the way that I go about friendship and love and relationships and community. That's the kind of celebration of pride that I want to have. One that helps me feel empowered not just to like say love is love and like wear rainbow costumes in West Hollywood but like I don't know I just want to be compelled to be curious enough to think about queering my life and how I can support and advocate for others who want to embrace their queer lives. I think that showing up as ourselves is also something that pride calls us to do, to show up 
so much for ourselves, that we're free to be ourselves, allows us to show up for others and allows us to do so with joy and with sadness and with absurdity and just all of the in-betweens. I'm not saying I have any of it perfect, but it's definitely what I'm hoping for this Pride season. just share a few of the things that I'm loving, what I'm rooting into, when I feel sad, when I don't feel sad, when I'm alone dancing around my apartment. I've been rooting into Arlo Park's new album, My Soft Machine, um, especially the song I'm Sorry, which for anyone who's tried moving to LA is going to immediately resonate with you. I'm also obsessing over the song The Mirror by a local band called Kakuni, who my good pal um, actually helped make a music video for. Um, I'm rooting into the idea of nurse advocacy and taking personal responsibility to try to change shit and to queer systems. More on that later. Um, and I'm rooting into loving being moody and accepting the fact that I can be a dramatic Leo <laughs> and that's okay if I take accountability for my emotions. I am claiming the fact that I can be moody, I can be grumpy, I can be sad, I can just be, I can be a bitch, I can be an angel, I can, I can be all of it and so can you. And it's, it's really, it's really okay. Before I end the podcast, I'm gonna read a poem that I, um, that I wrote about being here in LA. It's a draft, so I, Really appreciate you um, listening in. I lost 10 days. I turned my tax form in late. I cried when my family stayed. Then a boy called Wave tried to paint my nails black, but the polish ran thick with age. There were different kinds of people here in LA. The ones from here seemed hard to meet. So I'd find friendship in those like me, who'd left somewhere searching for a new way. But why'd I try to find it in a city made to be difficult to see much of anything anyway? On the crisscrossing streets filled with donut shops and psychic spots, past everyone who'd come to try and find their own way. Ugly buildings built like a defensive face for beauty hiding inside. I guess you had to know where to go for anywhere here to become something like home. Thank you for listening, stars. I really hope that you enjoyed the song A Tale of Two Moods by Tripped and Sat and Deanna Delandrio. Please give it a listen, add it to your Spotify, add it to your Apple Music. Go check out Deanna's 
what Deanna has going on. Um, you won't regret it. Also, the music video for A Tale of Two Moods is an instant mood booster. So if you do feel like indulging a joyful mood, go take a listen to the music video. Heck, show it to your coworkers or send it to your grandma. I'm sure she'll like it. Deanna Delandro. Thank you so much for listening, stars. I hope you loved today's podcast episode. If you liked today's episode, please share it with someone else who you think might be inspired by it. Um, my podcast intro music is by Afterspace, whose beats you can find on SoundCloud. My transition music is by Matthew Borner. My podcast logo is by Callan Moore. Recording, editing, and mixing is by me. This has been What the Hell is Up. Thank you so much for listening in. I hope you have a magical, magical week. Stay rooted, stars. Bye. Bye.